Hello everyone, welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode with Emerson Dameron is about his recent piece in The Junction, How to Know When You Should Quit Writing. And it's got somewhat of a companion's piece by Nick Cave from The Red Hand Files. Are there times your creativity disappears? And if so, how do you coax it back slash jumpstart it? Both of those articles are linked in this podcast description. Another thing that's linked in this podcast description is our Patreon account. Please consider donating at you, me, them, everybody.com as well. Um, things are different now. You might want to quit. You might want to read this piece before you quit. You might want to quit again and then not quit quitting or just keep qu- quitting, quit, quit, quit. Words mean nothing anymore. Here's the show. You wrote a piece, how to know when you should quit writing. And it's a, uh, it's a nice piece cause it's uh, it's a hopeful piece. I believe so. Yeah. Now, um, you are a paid writer, which is, is that rare? Or is just something that neither of us thought you could do? <laughs> Not you specifically, but like yeah, both it's, of us. I mean, I guess it's rare in the universal scheme of things. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's the thing that I've always kept doing, even if I wasn't getting paid for it. Yeah. So being able to get paid for it uh, is is convenient for me. Uh, even though, you know, it's not, I, I've, I actually have tried, like, at one point I wanted to be a UX designer because I figured I had a handsome living off of that. And I found that just the, the writing aspect of that is what I really wanted to do and what I gravitated to. I've tried to work in marketing and advertising, and I found that the parts of the only parts of those jobs that I've really gotten into are the writing parts. So I've just decided to focus on that. What do you enjoy about it? It's how I make sense of the world. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times I feel like I have all of this garbage in my head and as soon as I get it out and I've noticed this was true since I was young, that if as soon as I start crystallizing it and putting it out into the third dimension and turning it into an object, it starts to make more sense. Yeah. I completely relate to that. Um, The reasons why you've quit so often are, I think pretty universal. Yeah, I think everyone quits pretty frequently, and if they don't, they should probably try it. Yeah, I, do you have you ever had a negative association with quitting? You know, I, I've had I have some shame around certain things that I've quit in the past, like just recently, and I think this is just part of being at this phase of my life where I'm not really old, but not exactly young anymore to, um, to paraphrase Britney Spears. I, uh, I really wish that I'd stuck with piano lessons. Yeah. Uh, I took piano when I was a kid. I don't know why I quit. I think I just started smoking pot and had got into a new group of friends and it wasn't cool to do that anymore. 
I really wish that I'd stuck with it. I'm curious about how my life would have been different. Oh, man. So uh, I suppose it is the kind of thing I could pick up again now, but I can't be Ben Folds anymore. <laughs> like that ship has sailed. So that it's interesting that you say piano because that's the one thing, literally the one thing I wish I had done as a kid. I never took a piano lesson. Uh, we didn't grow up in a house with a piano. My kid, I have a keyboard that I bought for the live show, right? So last February 29th, right. 2020, I did a live show marathon and Tommy McNamara was kind enough to like come down from New York to be my house band, but I needed to buy a keyboard for the guy because he was coming from a mega bus, right? So I bought sure. a, a very affordable keyboard and so I set him up in the basement. So like my kid smashes it all the time. He just nonstop playing it and there's a bunch of triggers on it. So he's like, there's like a lot of marimba, whatever. The point is, since he has any memory, he'll have a piano and a guitar and a bass in his life. And I don't know why I find such like, like you, to me, nothing represents a life well lived than knowing how to play some basic piano. It's great. Yeah. It's, it teaches you about math. Um, it's, it's fun physically to play, you know, you get your hands on it. It's, it's like painting or other kinds of creative practice that involve a physical aspect, which I sometimes try to bring to writing. And sometimes I do anyway, like I tend to beat the crap out of my uh, keyboards to the point where I have to get them replaced. Really? Because a lot of times I write when I'm angry and there's some physicality to that. But yeah, I think if, any kid ever asked me for advice, I would say take get an instrument and stick with it. See, you no, can come back to writing. What's that? I got to disagree with that. Take any instrument. Yeah, but don't feel like you have to stick with it except piano. <laughs> like if he like he's got a guitar, right? My kid's got a guitar and I let him play yeah. the electric bass and like I let him screw around with that. If he never takes a lesson, if he never wants to play again, I don't care. But for some reason, the piano, because it's the building block of everything else, I want him to have that aspect. Yeah, I think that's a great thing to have. So you could, yeah, so like that's the thing. Drop any instrument you don't want, and I'm going to discourage him playing the drums just because I don't want a drummer kid. Yeah, those are loud. So No drums, no bagpipes. But, but other than that, I think you're 100% right. And I think it's interesting that you write and, and you write angry. Like fit like and it and there's a there's a tangible thing that's hurt from that. It's the best time to do it. Uh, it's because you end up being unintentionally funny, which is the best way to be funny. And it helps me get out the stuff that has the most potential to be destructive if I keep it in. Although I would also say that for. I, one of the reasons I wanted to write the thing about quitting is that at some point I decided to stop quitting. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a conversation about it a couple of years ago and I felt like um, I've been working on live storytelling for a long time. And I remember doing a moth story slam and not exactly bombing, but the whole experience is kind of disappointing. And so I talked to a friend of mine who's a writer and told her, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about just packing this in and going back to trying to find a trade. 
And by the end of the conversation, I just decided, you know, I, I'm stuck with this. This has been part of my life since I was little and it's going to be part of my life regardless. Like even if I have to uh, work at the post office or do what I've got to do to make a living, I'm always going to use this as a way to make sense of the world. So um, I decided to quit quitting and I decided to try to use my compulsion to quit as, as a source of humor. When was this conversation? Early 2019. Okay. So it's been a couple of years. Which is good because I'm I'm thinking that if you decided to do this at the start of the pandemic, you're done. <laughs> yeah. Not with the, life. Not I with think life. the people... Yeah, the people who tried to hustle their way through the pandemic, uh, I have more power to them, but I it's really hard to do work while you're grieving in my experience. Yeah. Speaking of grieving, um, there's a, a companion piece that you wanted to chat about uh, by Nick Cave in the Red Hand Files. Are, the question was, uh, are there times your creativity disappears? And if so, how do you coax it back slash jumpstart it? Um, I think a lot of my love for, of Nick Cave comes from you because you are a big Nick Cave person and you didn't introduce right. Nick Cave to me, but it was one of those things where like, oh, you like this guy. Maybe you should consider what he likes more. And now Nick Cave is one of my favorite artists. One of the most prolific writers when it comes to the rock and roll world as well. Um, touches on the piano. As of kind of recently, I think after his, uh, his son past, he really changed the way that he handles, particularly interacting with the public mm -hmm. and kind of serving in his role as a, as an idol for a lot of people. I remember when I first encountered him in the nineties, he was kind of notorious for not doing a lot of public interaction. I think right, he did Lollapalooza in 1994, which mm -hmm. is how I, the first time I saw him play live. And I remember MTV did a thing where Billy Corgan was going around and interviewing the different acts in that were on Lollapalooza that year. And he talked to Nick Cave and said, how does it feel to be the token British act in Lollapalooza? And Nick Cave just said, I'm Australian and walked off. And I think he was kind of known for um, being a little bit standoffish and uh, not exactly contemptuous of his fans, but definitely not the creative coach and kind of quasi guru that he's become since he started doing the red hand files newsletter and doing the sit down talks that he's doing now. So I, I definitely agree with the, the more openness about self, but he was just as prolific because he was doing novels before this. Yeah. I guess that was the same amount of work. You just didn't see the process. Yeah, it the wasn't necessarily as personal. You had to read into who represents whom this is like, this is my life. These are anecdotes from my life. Maybe they will help you dear reader. And he's tremendously encouraging in terms of creativity. Yeah. So his, this entire thing is really broken down into one thing. It's like, find a spot, do the thing. The things will come as long as you have your spot and you put the time in. There's nothing complicated. There's nothing romantic about it. Put the time in. It's the exact same advice David Lynch gives. 
And it's the exact yeah. same advice most successful writers. Stephen King is the same thing. I sit down at the desk for this amount of time. It will come. I find that to be true. I'm assuming the fact that you shared this with me, you find that to be true as well. Yeah, I think I've been doing something called 750 words for about 1,300 days now. It's uh, 750words.com is the website. I think it's a paid subscription now. It was free when I started. But um, it gamifies the process of writing every single day where... If you write 750 words that day, you it ticks off the box. If you do like 100 days, you get a little badge. And it leverages the kind of douchey competitive drive that I have where I think, okay, I'm going to beat this. I'm going to be better than all of these people. I'm going to have my name on the list of people that did the whole month. And then I find that just in the process of doing that, I get a lot smarter and more perceptive. And it's a lot easier for me to make sense of what's going on in my life. And uh, I can use it for different things like making lists or doing different kinds of 30 day challenges. And, uh, you know, it's similar to a daily meditation practice. It, it's a pain in the ass when you start. Eventually, it kind of develops a rhythm of its own. And after some time has gone by, you start to notice the aspects of your life that have just been improved by it in ways that because it developed over time, you didn't really notice it happening. It wasn't some kind of big revelation, but you're able to deal with things in a more sophisticated and grown up way than you ever would have otherwise. At least that's been my experience. So you're essentially saying as long as you teach yourself certain patterns of behavior, it's easier to repeat those patterns of behavior. It doesn't really matter what it is. Totally. And then if the opportunity comes when you are asked to, be part of a creative project or write something, you already have a bunch of ideas ready to go because yeah. you've just been grinding it out for a X amount of time rather than having to start over when the opportunity is there. I don't, you mentioned this, but it's a slightly different train of thought here. Why is making sense of things important to you? Because I tend to get overwhelmed. Okay. Um, and uh, just parsing things out and f trying to figure out as much as I can what's actually going on uh, reveals some of the cognitive biases that are at work where like, I'll catastrophize and think that things are a bigger deal than they are. But then if I see it described in like AP style in 200 words, it makes a lot more sense and it seems a lot less threatening. Uh, as far as I think, I it, it helps me to make sense of things because I get to see how 
they work and get ideas for how I can handle things better. And when I can, I like to share that with other people in hopes that it's of some kind of help. I think this, is this a new phenomenon? This like everything I do at the end of the day, my goal is just to make the world a better place or like I want to help because what you're saying is inherently a good thing, but it seems to be tacked on to most everything that is popular, be it sport, food, whatever, that I just want to help. It's like, when did that become the thing? <laughs> I don't, baby. But with you, it was probably, it might have been when you had a kid. No, but that's not I my thing. That, I, I don't have that at all. You don't want to, you want to make the world worse? No, I don't want to make the world worse. But if it, if, if my modus operandi is like, you're the top five things that make it, to do it it's not to make the world a better place i would like i don't i'm not averse to the idea of making the world a better place i think it's a byproduct of having fun and being your know, happiness is a, a loaded concept but even all concepts are loaded so like no here's the thing Maybe maybe it's my simplistic brain here, and maybe it's the... I don't think it's the pandemic. I think I've always been like this. If you strip it all down, as long as you're not a dick, you're fine. So you do your best to not be a dick, therefore the world is already a better place. And you probably make things better just by being around in ways that you don't give yourself credit for. Yeah, but I'm also not beating myself up for like, oh, I didn't make the world a good enough place. Just like, don't be a fucking dick. And how are you being a dick today? Well, then stop doing that or do this because it's easier to do this than to not do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think being creative in a generous way is just an enhanced way of not being a dick. Yeah, exactly. That being said, how many people are on microphone just being a dick? And maybe I'm being a dick right now. I don't fucking know, but I hope I'm not. <laughs> but it's it's like I'm not going to not do something because I might be being a dick. Well, if you maybe if you have some dickish tendencies, getting out of your, getting them out of your system is a way to not be a dick. Absolutely. In a way, you Definitely turning out, turning dickishness into humor is alchemy. Sure, for sure. You've you've made uh sure that I knew that Billy Corgan Nick Cave anecdote before cuz I don't know how long ago you've told me that. I've always remembered that. Unfortunately, now looking back on it, in our relationship, I am clearly the Billy Corgan and you are the Nick Cave in that interaction. <laughs> I guess I'll take the compliment, but don't don't beat yourself up too much. Hey, Billy Corgan's got a real happy life now. He's got his band back. He's still incredibly important. He could unfortunately sell more tickets than Nick Cave. He's got a kid he seems to love. That's awesome. Yeah, he seems to have a good life. Yeah, he just happens to hang out with Alex Jones. He's got a lot of ideas is what I'm saying. Yeah, and he likes to. Uh, I, he's probably he's also might be surrounded by people that that humor some of those ideas. No, never. So, anyways, I loved I love what Nick Cave is doing. Did you listen to the most Nick Cave the most Nick Cave the most recent Nick Cave album that came out last week? Just once, but I'm gonna have to give it a few more spins. What do you think thus far? I I really love his late period stuff in general. Really, I think it's 
Yeah, I I absolutely loved uh, the skeleton tree and ghost teen. And so far, my impression of this one is that it uses it has that kind of spare the same sort of creepy aesthetic that those records did, but that there's a little bit more joy and playfulness. Like you can see, I think just in the um, process of screwing around with the red hand files and doing more experiments and just having fun, it's, it's starting to bring a little bit of the kind of, don't give a fuck grinder man ethos yeah. into this new style that he has. I think it's the best thing he's released since grinder man too. That I could see a case for that. I liked those records so much, but ghost teen and skeleton key are like a little bit too heavy for me right now. Yeah. Totally. That's totally fair. And dig Lazarus dig is my favorite Nick cave in the bad seeds record. And that is the most flippant, uh, birthday party meets a biblical text thing he's ever released, and yeah, it's got a lot of variety, but mm-hmm. it's a that's a top down hands in the air record. Did you ever listen to Idols? They're out of the UK. Mm-mm. I think you might dig them because they're doing a lot of um, birthday party meets Dig Lazarus Dig era Nick Cave in the Bad Seeds, where it's this like confident anger meets depression. <laughs> I'll check that out. You recommended Proto Martyr to me. Yeah, Proto Martyr to me, which is, I really like, is the like I think they're from Michigan. Is the Michigan version of the Bad Seeds? Yeah, in that in the old style. Yeah, we're like these guys. Also, I think that I'm attracted to more bands like that because I think the guys in Idols are closer to our age than Nick Cave's kids' age. So, um, I also like people that are relatively peers. That's early. Yeah. Um, you sent me both of these articles and I appreciate that. Did you know you ended them roughly the same way? No, I think I just did that just unconsciously. Yeah, this is how yours ends. If you want to get better at quitting, quit early and quit off and rest, reflect and come back and start over when you're restless and bored and you don't have anything else to do, right? Nick Caves ends with sit down, be yourself, be prepared, be attentive, defy the voices, be the thing that you want to be, right? Be playful, be reckless. Remember that you are uniquely designed for the idea that is moving around you. You are good enough. The idea is about to arrive. The only major difference there is he's a little bit more positive. He's pumping you up. Yeah. You're not not pumping you up, though. (laughs) That's kind of the that's a that's a good way to encapsulate the piece, I think. Are you happy with it? Yeah, I really, I had a lot of fun writing it and I'm a big fan of it. Like it actually took me, the first place that I submitted it to rejected it because they said, you know, this is kind of sloppy and all over the place. And that's what I like about it. Cause for me, it was just foiling around a little bit was part of the fun of writing it. I don't think it's that sloppy. No, yeah, this this was a very um, well more high end medium publication that was about actionable advice for writers. Oh I no, think. yours is this is more flippant. Yeah, I was more taking the piss. <laughs> that's that Nick Cave British humor style that's coming right out of you right now. Exactly. Um, how often are you pitching places right now? 
what's more difficult, pitching a place or writing a piece? Because if you're writing 750 words a day, I'm assuming it's pitching. Yeah, it's just getting something together into uh, into a structure that's challenging. Uh, I have a lot of ideas, and there are a few that are kind of longer term projects that I spend a little time kicking around every day, but I'm not totally sure what I want to do with them. Somebody said something that I thought was great. Uh, I think it was on Twitter where um, I always have this impression that if I do a, a finished piece, it has to be like the definite, my definitive statement on this topic. But you can write, there's nothing stopping you from writing 12 articles about cat dander if you decide that you have more to say about it. Like, I think that's, that's a rationalization that I use to keep myself from shipping things. And one of my resolutions this year, as it usually is, is to just ship more stuff and put more stuff out there. And I think that's, I'm already on, on track to do a little bit better than I did last year. Of course, last year was an anomaly in a lot of ways. Well, in a way, I hope this pandemic never ends for you. <laughs> in a way, it probably won't. You, Me, Them, Everybody is made by me, Brandon Weatherby. Our theme music is by Daniel Knox. Our art is by Jillian Ron. You can hear all 13 years of shows at you, me, them, everybody.com. If you're listening to this in Spotify or on iTunes, the last year of episodes are available uh, with some sprinklings of the other ones. If you want the rest of the catalog, which features over 700 episodes, you, me, them, everybody.com. Our Patreon page is on our about page. It's all there. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff at sign Y M T E. Thanks for listening. I'll hug the places that you've been sleeping. Friends and family I'll be keeping. Won't 